Hello and welcome to Just Another Gala. It's July 29th and you're listening to episode 20 of your Ottawa Theatre Weekly Podcast. I'm Jessica Ruano. And I'm Kat Fournier. Now this summer, Kat and I are being pulled in every possible direction, from Ottawa to Almont, from Shakespeare to Commedia dell'arte, from outdoor theatre to indoor dance. Who has time to while away the hours of the beach when there are so many great shows to attend? We've got news, reviews, and previews, so keep listening. Let's start with some news. First of all, what is the state of the arts in Canada? A broad question, perhaps, but one that Pulitzer Prize-winning art and architecture critic Philip Kennicott attempts to answer in his editorial piece in the Washington Post. So in Canada, it's no secret that our current government has expounded a new financial commitment to arts and culture, leaving Kennicott to question how those changes will impact the way Canadians make art in the future. Through the eyes of Simon Brold, who is the head of the Canada Council, and Melanie Jolie, who is the Minister for Canadian Heritage, Kennicott explores what this renewed interest in funding the arts may mean for our future. The article is a touch inspiring, if somewhat idealistic, and looks at the arts uh, really across Canada. I was particularly amused to see Kennicott weave a thread between the funding for arts and the possibility of an equitable, non-nationalistic Canada that opposes the rise of nativism in the U.S. and Britain. So I've linked to it in our, our SoundCloud description, so you can give it a read. Uh, in terms of local news, here's a question. Looking to give some money away? Because we've got two worthy causes in the arts world in Ottawa. Uh, first of all, the Ottawa Acting Company is celebrating 1,000 days since they opened their doors to students and artists in the Glee. So why not say thank you by throwing them some cash? Um, also, looking for a financial boost is local actor Margot McDonald, who is taking her award-winning production, The Elephant Girls, to the Edinburgh Festival Fringe in August. So Ed Fringe is bloody expensive, but so worthwhile. This can mean one of our local talents getting picked up by a fancy London producer or enjoying a transfer to New York. So let's make that happen. Uh, links to their Fun What You Can pages are included below. And uh, Margot's campaign only has four days left. So if you want to support the Elephant Girls, get on that soon. A Canadian musical is hitting Broadway. Come From Away is a Canadian musical focusing on the 38 planes and their occupants who are redirected to Gander, Newfoundland on September 11th, 2001. And it will be performed at the Schubert Theatre on Broadway and have opening previews in February of 2017. David Hine and Irene Sankoff, the husband and wife team who wrote the show, visited Newfoundland on the 10th anniversary of September 11th terrorist attacks to hear the stories of the 6,579 passengers who were diverted to Gander and the small community that selflessly took them in. So that's it for news for this week, and stay tuned for several reviews of some great performances happening here in Ottawa. So as you know, summertime in Ottawa is a great uh, t uh, place to be for outdoor theatre, and we managed to catch a couple more shows that are happening uh, right now. Uh, now, the Baron Co's production of Macbeth is only playing until the 30th, so you got a couple more days to see it over the weekend. Uh, this show is directed by Eleanor Crowder, with music direction by Rachel Euster, and features uh, Chris McLeod as Macbeth and Doreen Taylor Claxton as Lady Macbeth and also includes Daniel Claxton, Rachel Euster, Joey Jagaris, Alexis Scott, and Sarah Weitzfitz. So again, only a couple more days to see this show, and it's playing in different parks across Ottawa, so do check out their website uh, for more details. 
Um, now, uh, about this show in general, um, to me, it seemed incredibly well cast. I thought that uh, Chris and Dorian especially were wonderful as, as the leading couple in a very sort of sensual relationship. Um, and also the, um, the three women playing, playing the witches, that's Zoe, Alexis, and Sarah, uh, had a lot of playfulness between them and they incorporated some fire tricks because uh, Zoe, as she uh, showed us in the last production of Baron Co., The Tempest, uh, she's quite a fire performer herself. Mm. She has a lot of busking and she's very adept with, um, with uh, juggling with fire and using hula hoops and it's very impressive to watch. So she has shared her skills with two other ladies in the cast and they kind of do a few little demonstrations as the witches. So I guess a couple things about, about this particular production is I did find it occasionally hard to follow because, you know, as in most Shakespeare plays, there are tons of characters to work with and these actors were playing lots of different roles sort of sometimes at the same time. Um, but there were times where like, and I know the play quite well and I, I didn't quite know like which scene they were doing or which characters they were they were playing. So it took me like a, like a few seconds here and there to kind of like catch up to what was going on. Mm. So I thought it would be a little more clarity in terms of the scenes would have been really helpful. Um, and then, uh, and it, you know, but it had, it had great moments in terms of like how gruesome it was. Like they did a really good job with, um, you know, the Macbeth coming out with the bloody hands and uh. Lady Macbeth coming out as well. So they did some great, I guess, blood work is this the term. <laughs> um, and also uh, at the end, they bring out this sort of like chopped off head in a bag. And Ooh. it has this like really like, it's very impactful. Mm-hmm. Um, I did feel that uh, there were a number of um, musical interludes that were also included in last year's production of The Tempest. Mm-hmm. And in The Tempest, I felt this worked very well. They sort of these... Um, kind of like these folksy choral numbers mm-hmm. that are very beautiful to listen to, like all these different like range of voices, so very, very appealing, mm-hmm. um, but felt a little bit out of place in mm-hmm. Macbeth, mm-hmm. Uh, simply because um, sometimes they were played during these really tragic moments and it mm-hmm. almost felt like they weren't listening to what had just happened in the scene, but were sort mm-hmm. of finding a place to like bring in this song. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe maybe a, ch- a change of musical numbers, maybe just sort of like being more selective about where to include them. But Interesting. It did feel like there should have been a bit more like listening in that respect of like what is appropriate for this particular yeah. scene. And because these are two very different plays too, like when you think of The Tempest, it has that sort of like fantastic quality to Absolutely. it. It's about like the fairy world and touches on that like kind of thing. Yeah, so and in that sense, those, those choices worked really well, but I thought yeah. they were trying to transfer their choices from last year into this year's show. Yeah. And some of them worked and some of them didn't. Yeah. So. Yeah, so so it sounds like a pretty gruesome mm-hmm. show and and really like based in um, like spectacle that sort of spectacle like bring it to the park kind of quality and we were talking a little bit about this about the idea of like Macbeth being like such a, a evocative strong compelling script you mm-hmm. kind of want to mount it and how difficult it is to sort of find that right note. Well, have you so. seen the the TV show Slings and Arrows? No. Okay, so it's very funny. It's basically like set in a in a very Stratford festival like environment and just sort of the ins and outs of like running a theater festival. Okay. And, and like a lot of hypocrisy goes around and it's very, very funny. But they do talk about, they do Macbeth in the second uh, season of the series and they keep repeating the phrase, it's a very difficult play to stage effectively. Those <laughs> <laughs> phrases they keep bringing back as an excuse not to do the play, but of course they end up doing it. Yeah, that's really funny. Yeah, it's special. So, well, there you go. I would agree with that statement. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, Also playing in parks, we're jumping right over to The Servant of Two Masters, which is Odyssey Theatre's offering this summer. And this has a nice long run, so it's playing until August 21st. So you have 
plenty of time to go see it. And I really uh, hope that you do. This This is uh, a show that is getting actually some really positive reviews, both from the Capital Critics Circle, from uh, Patrick Langston. Um, it's it's It is truly spectacle. And the style of physical theater and mass theater to me works so well in the park setting. Like it really feels like that kind of, not sideshow quality, but, but it's really playful with the audience. We are like an active part of you know, the, like the characters on stage are really playing off the audience the whole time. So this is a like the perfect summer in the park type of Absolutely. show. Absolutely. And these are really seasoned performers mm-hmm. who who know this style of theater so well. And yeah. this is a company that's been around for uh, 31 years. They're mm-hmm. actually as old as I am. So <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it, it, it was launched in 1986. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, from the beginning, they were in Strathcona Park mm-hmm. in this little area. And so... They do, they do, they know what works for them. They know their style and it's a company that keeps audiences coming back year after year with their, um, you know, like they've obviously had not a great show every year, but Mm -hmm. generally speaking, they've been uh, really consistently good quality pieces of theater. So, and just in a couple sentences, what, what have Ottawa audiences come to expect from Odyssey Theater? So we know that they do physical mask work, but what, what is... Yes, exactly. And, and usually, um, so the, they, they've done like a, a different types of plays. Um, so not just Italian comedia, although mm-hmm. this play is, is, is a Carlo Goldoni classic, mm-hmm. uh, which I've, I've actually seen before in a different setting. Um, but they've also done uh, Moliere work. They've done Spanish theater. Mm-hmm. They've done... Cathacali uh, theater. They've they've really tried to like branch out, and so they bring um, the commedia style and sort of apply it to different types of theater, mm-hmm. um, which which uh, you know in a lot of cases works really well and is very interesting because mm-hmm. you can find these so these Italian commedia archetypes which you see in the mask characters. A lot mm-hmm. of them wear masks, and the masks will indicate the kind of character you're you're playing. Um, these archetypes are often seen in other styles of theater as well. So it's cool to sort of like make those connections and see, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's, as a very basic example, like one of the characters in this play is sort of a know-it-all doctor mm-hmm. and you see that same character in the TV show Frasier. Like, uh-huh. and, and so there's, you'll see these characters even in modern television and modern sitcoms that, mm-hmm. that keep repeating themselves or like the Columbina type who is very sort of flirtatious and sort of seductive and, and a bit of a trickster. She gets what she wants without having to give anything away. And, you know, so all these things we, we see every day. So once you know these characters, you kind of start seeing them everywhere. And I was actually really looking forward to the show because I saw that Jesse Buck was going to be part of the cast. And, and he's so good. Yeah. I mean, he's done Odyssey Theater several times and yeah. he's also worked with uh, Soleil. Yeah. Um, so I was definitely looking forward to him as well. And he plays, you know, he plays the servant of the two masters. Yeah. So, so like really mm-hmm. the, I want to say the titular character, but that's not quite named in the title. It's close enough. Yeah. yeah. Close enough. Yeah. yeah. Close enough. Well, his name is Truffle Dino. And who's, who's, I mean, I, again, I'm not sure, quite sure the difference between, um, between the archetypes exactly. I mean, because Truffle Dino is very similar to me to Arlecchino. He's another ah. mass character. Mm. They're quite, so I think they're brothers. So they're very similar. Interesting. Yes. Or maybe it depends on the discipline. Yeah. Like maybe yeah. they're basically the same character, but yeah. if you talk to certain playwrights, they're like, oh, I just mm. prefer Truffle Dino as the name. Like I'd have to look into that some more, but mm-hmm. So I'm going to start this off by talking about the the staging because sure. I think that we both and we we went to see it together and I remember sitting down and your first reaction was like nice set and I agree it was like it was very impactful so this is Jared Smith said it's immediately eye catching it's it's also got a clever design that allows the characters to quickly change the backdrop so that the plot can unfold in two locations at once and that's nice um, to have that sort of variety uh, and and to me this sort of unfolding set is just like it just suits the style of theater so well. 
it's like the idea of like this traveling show. You can just sort of pull anything out of this this set and un- unfurl it, and it sort of transports you to another place. So yeah, and yeah. I, I love that sort of look of like when you're opening one of those pop out books and you can yeah. kind of like follow the characters through the little yeah. tunnels and things and, and yeah, because things expand. They'll pop out their their heads above the tower and this yes. and there, and they could kind of go wherever they want in the 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 set. And the cast is undeniably lovable. Oh, so much fun. Yes. yes. They work really well together. Some standouts to me were obviously Jesse Buck as Truffle Dino and Dana Fradkin, who played Asmeraldina. They're, they end up becoming this adorable, awkward couple. He masked, she not masked. That is correct. Yes. And, and so, that character sometimes is masked. Yeah, okay. So, so yes. how does that work? How do you decide who's masked? Well, basically the masked? lovers aren't masks. Right. Masked, rather. So, so you know, the, the young lovers who are supposed yes. to get married, so yes. they don't wear masks, but all the character types do. So, yeah. like, you know, the pantalone, the kind of, like, mm-hmm. miserly old man, the doctor wears a mm-hmm. mask... I think Smeraldino wears a mask. Is she didn't. That's an interesting. She? Yeah, and and yeah. to me it was interesting because there's almost there's two pairs of lovers here. That's right. Um, and I'm not counting. Um, I'm not ca- counting Smeraldina and Truffledino, although you sh- we should because they are lovers, but they're yeah. but they're comedy like they're they're anchored in like that exactly. comedic yeah, like yeah, yes. um, servant type of roles. Mm-hmm. Whereas Seraphine as Beatrice and Joshua Wiles as Florin. Florindo. Florindo. Yeah, so they're, they're, they're also classic lovers. Classic lovers. But one of them's in disguise. Aha. Uh-huh. Which takes, that's another, you know, that's almost like a mask, right? Yeah. When she's in disguise, mm-hmm. her, her character changes so much that it's almost as though she's playing a mask character. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. Yeah. So, yeah, so Jesse Buck and Dana Fradkin, awesome. And also Sarah Finn as Beatrice was a great surprise. I think Sarah Finn is one of the most underrated actors in Ottawa. I think mm, she is bold. absolutely brilliant. No, yeah. seriously. I mean, I'm, uh, any, everything I've seen, I look forward to seeing her in shows. Yeah. I think she's wonderful. So what worked for me here is like the moment that she steps out on stage disguised as her brother, it, you know exactly what to s- expect just striking a pose, mm-hmm. you can read that character so well. And that, to me, is, like, the essence of this style kind of reminds me of the, the Danny Zuko greaser, like, combing her hair back oh, yeah. in a black leather jacket. Oh, like, yeah. Her physicality was, style. like, on point. And particularly, she she really contrasts these characters. So she has those two notes, one where she's sort of in disguise, and then she's she's actually quite nervous as, as Beatrice. She's sort of uh, caught up in this uh, sort of disguise and she has this plot that she's carrying out and she's actually really nervous to be doing it so watching those two aspects of the character unfold and, and mm-hmm. switching really quickly to me it was just really 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 yeah, great incredibly yeah. skillful right there yeah so two of the masked characters here Zach Council and Sean Sullivan uh are are Brigella and Pantalone respectively and to me these are just such a great tribute to these classic characters like again especially uh, uh Zach Council as as Brigella. Not only was he moving the plot forward and playing that role, really, like, he had great timing, great physicality, was at his cues when he needed to sort of catch a flying fish and all of those kind of things. But then he was also, like, stopped to interact with us when things went wrong or where something silly happened on stage. Like, oh, gosh, yes. He had a so prop. Good. Yeah, he had a prop break on him for a moment. And oh, that's right. Do you remember his that? His broom props, and he's yeah. like, can't use this anymore. Yeah, <laughs> because for a minute, he kind of like kept sweeping, and he kind of had that been like, what am I doing? <laughs> so anyway, so Actually, that was really I, I, You know, we went to the opening performance, but apparently in a different performance, he like had dropped his hat in the river, and so he spent like five minutes doing some kind of like 
hat river lotsy like just sort of messing around and that's awesome i know that's awesome that's what you want it's just so playful right it's like the script is there but like the heart of the show is playfulness exactly and it's the characters that embrace that that like super we don't know in classic commedia they would they would like you know the actors knew which characters they were playing yeah and they would pretty much give them like a loose synopsis and push them on stage and say go ahead and do something and they would just yeah. improvise the whole darn thing like yeah. the media comes from improvisation yeah and it clowning comes from like yeah and clowning and just yeah. playing around doing these lotsies these comic comic business um and so you know although a lot of shows now are scripted mm-hmm. um they do they do allow room for that type of improvisation like it's mm-hmm. it's encouraged really yeah yeah and it's great. And so so perhaps now is an opportune time to talk about Andy Massingham, who's directed this piece. Oh my goodness, yes. yes. Such a clear <laughs> facility for this role. He really understands these characters, I feel, deeply. And, and it's it's really clear in these comedic sequences that that there's somebody orchestrating this yes. very well. Yes, there, there is definitely mm-hmm. a, um, a conductor with this orchestra mm-hmm. who is just, just lightly tossing mm-hmm. the stick around. But I, it seems like he really trusts his actors mm-hmm. and he can bring out the best in them. I've, I've seen, I've seen him work and I know mm-hmm. he can do this. Mm-hmm. And I think this is, this is completely evident in this show. Um, can we just talk briefly about what happened at the end? Cause I think it was just so. Oh yeah. So we got and special cause we got rained on. <laughs> we got rained on. And so usually because Odyssey theater is on a, is outside and it's on a stage, uh, they have to be very careful about about rain and weather in general because the actors might slip on the stage, and so there's like just safety reasons. And so they're a bit worried when it started like raining quite hard, and um, and they kind of had a bit of a powwow backstage. And we saw Andy Maskin run back there to talk to the actors, and then he comes out <laughs> on stage and says, "Okay, everybody, we've talked about it. We're going to be super, super careful. The show's going to happen. Like yeah. I take full responsibility." Yeah. <laughs> Okay, and they did go ahead with it, and and it was it was great. I didn't yeah. see any difference really in their energy levels. Like maybe yeah. they toned down the physicality a little bit, but they got yeah. through the show, and people stuck around with a couple of umbrellas, and it was wonderful. Yeah, and in and the end, totally the, worth it. The day was saved. It was. It was. <laughs> Thanks, Odyssey Theater. <laughs> So one I wanted to mention because to me there was like there there definitely were moments in the play that did kind of stand out because they were a bit of a question mark to me. Oh, like yeah, it wasn't obviously it wasn't that. a flawless yeah, yeah. show. To, so I want to talk specifically about there was this dance break between uh, Smeraldina and uh, Truffaldino. Yes, it's right so, when they're sort of falling in love. Yeah, but, yeah. and at first they're really nervous, and then they end up kind of doing this like awkward clown tango. Mm-hmm. And um, this for me, was a real pace breaker. It was a bit slow, wasn't it? It was a bit slow, and okay. everything else seemed so uh, deliberate, and I get it. This felt like it was supposed to be an interlude, mm-hmm. purely spectacle, purely fun, and it didn't quite get there. There wasn't anything like that extremely special about that sequence that had you clapping along with mm-hmm. it or mm-hmm. or really wanting it to kind of keep going and getting yeah, lost yeah, in that yeah. sequence. So they were great together. They were, in fact, one of my favorite duos in the show, I thought they played like very well mm-hmm. uh, against with, or with each other, and uh, and I was surprised actually at that that little interlude. But yeah, yeah it happens. So it goes. Yeah, yeah. So we should, uh, I also want to mention since since we're now we love the show. We yeah. love we're just we're just picking at stuff right now because yeah. you know it's good discussion points. Yeah. So there was this moment in the text, and I think you noticed it too. Yeah. Where um, Smeraldina has this like wicked monologue, um, basically saying like. 
hey, if women made the rules, things would be very, very different, right? Yeah. And it kind of reminded me of a monologue from Othello, you know, you know the character Amelia, and she mm-hmm. says, but I do think it is their husband's faults if wives do fall, mm-hmm. and and uh, and goes on about, um, you know, the, who makes the rules mm-hmm. and what women are allowed, what men are allowed, and it's a very profound monologue, and I felt the same way about, about this one, which I don't actually think is in the original text. I really mm-hmm. think, I, I, I need to probably check with Andy about this, but I'm pretty sure it was added in for this production. And it was kind of a, like a fantastic, like bold feminist statement, and I loved it for what it was. But the way that it was staged, mm. uh, you know, that the lights darkened, there was like red coming out, like they really over dramatized it. And mm. it's almost like if they done that for the Amelia monologue, like oh, let's put a spotlight on her, make a big deal out of it. It almost takes the power away from what mm. they're saying. I think if it had just been like a passing statement, mm. it would have stayed with me more than the way that it was staged. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure what the theatricality was supposed to add to it. Yeah. Um, but it yeah. definitely had me thinking it, it in that moment, and it has been a long time since I've seen a commedia show, mm-hmm. I was like, oh my... Like, I didn't know what to expect next. I was like, oh, that took a turn. Yeah. Like, all of a sudden, I thought they were going to, you know, start off comedy and then the second act really take a turn and it becomes, like, something else. Because mm-hmm. because what happens with the young couple in this show is, like, quite troubling. And, and maybe is. this was there yeah. because... I, I, um, one of the lover characters, the male, uh, assumes that his, uh, like, betrothed yeah, has, cheating is cheating him, on right? him. And, and he basically, she's devastated. He wants to end it. He wants, like, he basically is going to let her commit suicide. Think, like, really throwing his nose up in the air. Yeah, and, and he doesn't even, like, apologize for yeah, his horrible and behavior. It, and it's, like, very, like, almost unlover. Like, because you, you just... You see them like wringing their hands and like yeah. just doting on each other and everything. So it's it's a bit of a dark turn to the script. And I feel like going into Smeraldina's monologue, it's mm-hmm. like she's capitalizing on that moment being like really uncomfortable for the audience. But yeah. I don't think it was like I don't think it was like healthy for the show. It maybe could have used just an outside perspective to be like, eh, I don't know if you need that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. But I'm sure they had like their reasons for it, and I'm sure that you know, yeah. it was it was a well thought out decision. Yeah, it was just it might have just required like somebody off the side being like, "I see what you're trying to do there, but how about not?" Yeah, yeah. with where, where everything else is like the pace keeps moving forward and everything. This kind of yeah, seems yeah. like it's it's really trying to make a statement, and and that statement is just something that you could tell by the audience reaction afterwards. There was like was like a couple of, like <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah, like, I don't know what to think. Yeah, Anyways, yeah. All right, cool. Overall, like, a really awesome show. You know, I... I'll probably go see it again, to be honest. Oh, good. Yeah, Yeah. and I really, like, you you have a nice long time to see it. August 21st, again, is is when the show is closing. This is a great way to enjoy the summer. The atmosphere is is ideal. They really uh, understand the setting really well, and uh, and it shows. And they sell ice cream at intermission, so I think that's always good. (laughs) Cool, we have one more thing we're going to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just quickly, I, I got to see um, a really great event um, over the weekend. Well, this was on Friday evening. Mm-hmm. This is Dark Horse Dance Project. It's mm-hmm. only its second year uh, in existence. And they present 11 new works divided mm-hmm. into two different lineups. They were playing mm-hmm. both Thursday and Friday. And this is organized by a number of uh, local contemporary dancers in, in, in Ottawa. Mm-hmm. So the artistic directors are Jocelyn Todd and uh, Marie-Pierre uh, Gilbert. 
And then I also know Amelia Griffin, who was involved as an associate director. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so they perform at the Odd Box um, in the, uh, the arts court. And I managed to see uh, six different performances at this event. And it was really cool the way they kind of brought you in because before the show, uh, Megan Jerome, who was a local uh, musician, pianist, uh, she was playing some music beforehand. And then she kind of like leads us into the theater. And then she's playing again in the theater. And that kind of works into the very first dance piece where she's at the piano. And this woman comes in and she kind of like transforms herself into this bodysuit. And then the bodysuit kind of like wraps its arms around her. So it looks as though she's dancing with somebody else. So it's like a very clever kind of like costume trick they work in. Um, and so of course, like with any kind of festival like this, the, the results are mixed. Like mm-hmm. there were a couple of shows that like clearly kind of emerging artists working at their things. Mm-hmm. Like there was one called time, no, not the magazine and very much about like the, the passage of time in somebody's bedroom, kind of like, um, thinking through sort of deep thoughts and, 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 you know, working through that in a movement way. And it just felt like a, like a little bit obvious at times. Mm-hmm. Like it was very sweet, but didn't communicate like a whole lot. Mm. Um, and it's always, I mean, I, you know, it's, it's, it's so maybe, um, hypocritical of me to say, because I, I really enjoy theater that incorporates uh, text as well. Mm-hmm. But I find that some dancers attempt to incorporate text and it, and they haven't quite thought it through, or maybe mm. they don't have that kind of background, mm. and so it doesn't come across like quite as effectively. So I did, I did feel it that way with this piece. Um, but the next one I saw, I, I can't know if I pronounced this, but it's 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 looks like blau, and it's it's spelled B L double A W E. I should say the, the letter W, not two W's, because I just said double A. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right? Okay. <laughs> anyway, so choreographed by Elise Belgeron and also performed by her and uh, Rosie Conton. And I really enjoyed this piece. Um, they were sort of sitting back to back on what looked like sort of this like dark rock, rocking boat. Mm. So almost like they were out at sea mm. kind of rocking between mm. each other. And they both had their hair tied over their faces so you couldn't see their facial expressions. And the way they moved together, it was just, it was very hypnotic and haunting and beautiful. Mm. And it was a short piece, but it kind of just it put you in a, in a very particular place and it was kind of claustrophobic, but enticing at mm. the same time. It's, it's hard to explain, but it was, but it was really, really fun to watch. And then there was another piece sort of near the end and I'll just read you the description because it, it, it does kind of capture what we experienced. Um, so it says, using live music, a garbage bag, a broken mirror and a gumball machine full of poppy seeds, uh, undying underlying explores the allure of substance and consumption as a way of masking an underlying ability, inability to face oneself with all its dark aspects. So they literally did have like poppy seeds like coming out wow. of this. No, I, think was, I think actually it was sesame seeds coming out. It may have yeah. changed at the last minute yeah. out of this gumball machine. So the smell of sesame seeds was mm. like permeating in the room mm. as they were moving around. There was there were these points where like they were doing kind of these. Um, sort of like acro flips and like one person had their hands on the ground and the person had their feet on the hands mm. and it was kind of like interesting to watch their bodies kind of contort in this very strange environment. So yeah, lots of like cool, interesting things to see. And I think just another, um, uh, you know, like way of saying this, that Ottawa has some amazing dancers in our midst yes. and we don't often get to hear about them. So yeah. there is this dance project, of course, uh, it's going to, I think it's going to happen again next summer. Mm. 
and also, uh, you know, continuous work at yeah. the Odd Box and the Ottawa Dance Directive, mm-hmm. and of course, a full season of dance yeah. at the NAC. So, um, you know, I think it's super interesting, and I'd love to see, I'd love to see more yeah. of their work. I love this format of show. I know that Dark Horse Dance Project has as a mandate to to bring accessible dance to Ottawa. Mm-hmm. Um, seeing a real gap there, and and really sinking to that spot. What really works here is the that there's um, really like short pieces, 10 to 12 minute dance sequences. Like what better way to get, get a great idea of different types of movement and, and some very young performers just starting their career, some very old performers Mm -hmm. who, who've been dancing for a long time. Yeah. Experimentation and give people a chance to try something they wouldn't necessarily want to do in a one hour show. And like, Hey, 10 minutes of this. Why not? Then we move on. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Love it. Great. So that's our reviews for this week. We, we hope that you enjoyed them and, and let us know what you've been seeing this summer. Moving on to previews. That's right. We get to talk about Puppets Up, which is my favorite festival. Well, one of my favorite festivals. I have so many favorites, but this is a really, really great festival. So (laughs) coming up soon. Opening August 5th. That's just one week away. It's Puppets Up. This festival is a puppet festival of bringing international puppet artists and only a short drive from Ottawa in Almont. That's right. Who lives, who lives in Almont, Kat? I may know one or two people. <laughs> right. So yes, Almont is the place to be uh, next weekend, August 5th, 6th, and 7th, because the town will be overrun by puppets. So this puppet festival was founded by Noreen Young, who you may recognize from the popular children's television program Under the Umbrella Tree uh, in 2004. So now it's now in its 12th year. And I'm very proud to say that I attended this festival in its very first year. And I have attended every single festival since then when I've been in town. Not oh when I was in God. England, but I, I am a I'm a puppets up aficionado. I love this <laughs> festival. I love being in Almont when there are puppets in the windows, puppets like made to look like Baker Bob and all the cool oh my people God, yeah. in the town. Yeah. And I love the puppet parade. I love all the performances. But the one thing I haven't yet done is attend the late night cabaret performance just for adults. Okay, so, so this I, is... Have you seen it before? I have not, and, and it does sell out rather quick. I mean, it's okay. quite enticing because... I hope we get to go. Puppets Up, It's um, it really does bring a, a high caliber of puppet performer to uh, like this Eastern Ontario audience. Uh, but it is particularly... A lot of the shows are particularly family focused absolutely so yeah, it's a really kids. yeah exactly and and that doesn't mean that it's not enjoyable a lot of like from folk tales to like really contemporary like huge bigger than life puppets like there's tons going on it's really eye-catching it's it's an intense time to be in almond like literally you could be walking down the street and just get heckled by some puppets <laughs> and this adult cabaret uh, adults only cabaret is this really enticing prospect of these like very careful children facing puppets like saying what they really think over a couple oh jokes god. oh my god i can't wait. <laughs> yeah you have to go i know yeah so i'll definitely try to be there if there's still t- tickets left but um so so we don't yeah. know kind of respect from the from the adult cabaret but yeah. uh hopefully we'll report back to you later on yeah but in the meantime there are lots of great shows uh, they're family-friendly happening throughout the day. So get there early in the morning, stay all day if you want to. The puppet parade is on, I think, at 2 p.m. Yeah. And then otherwise, uh, there's a couple of local artists, uh, like Ottawa people who are out there. So there's a group uh, that was born in Ottawa called Rock the Arts, and that's run by uh, Sarah Argue, and she's going to be bringing all her puppetry friends uh, to do a show in Almont. And then there's also the Eccentric Puppet Emporium with Adam Zimmerman and Mike Costellon, who are uh, two local improvisers. So check them out. 
And then actually we have a show coming all the way from India, which looks really beautiful. Very cool. Very cool. And I think they, they've had some help bringing them here um, because uh, so Akar Puppet Theatre um, is, is already kind of coming to, to Montreal for a show and then and then because they're so close they were able to sort of tag this on on the end. So it's a really outstanding opportunity. Um, the, these are traditional Kathputli string marionettes and they're they're colorful, they're nostalgic, they're whimsical, and they're based in kind of like the folk tales uh, sort of side of things and really a super unique opportunity to see the style of puppetry live by somebody who's literally been doing it his whole life, like born into a puppetry family. That's amazing. Um, I read that he he started making puppets alongside his father at age five and participated in his first show at age nine. So now, years and years and years later, this is like his company touring, performing. And, and to see that level of, of puppetry, like from a traditional craft perspective, I think is a really outstanding opportunity. How come I be born in a puppetry family? That's amazing. <laughs> Yeah, like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I actually have a string marionette that's broken. Somebody got it for me, I think, as like a bit of a gag birthday present. And it's like a drunk Scottish marin- marionette that I just can't seem to restring. You should but... bring it with you to Puppet Festival. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we've, we've named him Angus. That's beautiful. Yeah, and uh, like once in a while, I'll just like move him around the house to scare Because actually, like, sometimes well, I've seen kids come to the festival with the, their own puppets. They yes. And actually, last year, I was so thrilled. This one kid was was um, holding a pineapple puppet, and he had, like, his hand through it so he could, like, make the pineapple Oh, my top. God. And I was like, you are the coolest kid I have ever met. Let's be I, best friends. <laughs> yeah, really. So. That's funny. It's just one of those things. That it's so hard to fully describe this amazing festival. You kind of just have to be there in the environment. Yes, sink into uh, it, have some fun. Exactly. So I'm bringing some friends up for the first time and I'm I'm looking forward to being like, oh my God, look over there, look over there. And and just like being all giddy all over again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yes. We should also note that this is going to be our official last Just Another Gala for the summer. Yes, because... We run out of shows. We run, like exactly. Like I mean, <laughs> August. I'm sorry, Ottawa, but you got to get your act together because there aren't many shows to see. Yeah. So we will be back and like ready to rumble in September when yeah. you have a whole new series yeah. of theater and dance coming at us. Um, yeah. But if you hear anything in the meantime, let us know and yeah. we will post it on our Facebook page. Yeah. Um, and this is our 20th episode, so yeah. like, go us! Yeah. Woo! So this is great, and we hope that this has been uh, helpful to you in, in the Ottawa theatre community because we really are trying to find new ways to to talk about the arts in a, in a conversational way, and that's sort of the vision for the show. But we're going to continue to grow it and perfect it because we want to feature even more of your voices. What's been really great about this show, and my favourite part of these first 20 episodes, is when we've been able to bring people on who just want to talk about yeah, arts. Exactly. So yeah. we've had Amelia Griffin so far, we've had Joelle Beto, we've had Nancy Kenny. Mm-hmm. We would love to speak to more people who are mm-hmm. third involved in the Ottawa theater scene and hear what they have to say. And while we like talking about your shows, we even prefer to talk with you about other shows. So if you like JAG, if you want to be on JAG, please reach out to us because we're always looking for new perspectives to chat about the arts in our communities. Exactly. So great. That's our episode for this week. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and we'll see you in September. Mm -hmm.